Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another installment of the Weird of the Week series, our little bonus series here on the Patreon. For all of you who are so generously supporting the show and wanting some bonus content. So, uh, yeah, today we have a fairly interesting story to kind of dive into, and it's a story that I'm sure... If you follow, you know, the paranormal, if you follow true crime, if you listen to podcasts similar to my own uh, and this general true crime sphere, you probably have heard of this story. Uh, the story of the Summerton Man down in Australia, a true crime cold case from the late 1940s that has continued to be a mystery for a very, very long time due to the mysteriousness of the John Doe, uh, as well as the sort of spy thriller kind of uh, narrative that began to unravel as they slowly discovered evidence, quote-unquote, but that only had led them to more and more questions rather than answers as to who this man may be. Because, you know, he was some random dude who was found dead on a beach one morning. Apparently, one of the biggest mysteries in relation to the Somerton Man case is now answered. As of a few weeks ago, actually, um, this was a story I wanted to kind of touch base on. And when I heard about it from another show mentioning it, that they're like, hey, did you hear that this stuff was solved? I was like, I am not going to listen to this episode. I'm going to let this go. I'm going to look into it and then I'm going to talk about it myself. Uh, because it's fascinating. It's really fascinating. If you guys are not familiar with the story surrounding the Somerton Man, a sort of quick reprieve for you. Uh, the Somerton Man was discovered on November 30th in 1948 uh, by a couple who noticed a man dressed fairly well. He was dressed in a suit and a tie and all that sort of stuff. Just kind of lying in the sand at a beach. He was propped up against a seawall, which I don't know exactly what this one looked like. However, think of kind of like a jetty or a dune here uh, in the U.S. Following this and following this discovery of this John Doe, the police began to survey the scene. It was located on Somerton Beach, hence the name the Somerton Man. And for the following years, they, you know, determined his anatomy. They noted a lot of interesting things as to him having a very distinct genetic mutation in relation to his teeth as well as his ears. And he had uh, fairly pronounced calf muscles that a lot of people uh, denote this during coverage of the stories that it is something that is seen primarily with people who either A, wear high heels like women, or B, are dancers of some sorts. And to just add to the mystery and the allure of this, um, they found in a secret compartment, or like a sewn-in compartment almost, on his, uh, on his shirt, I think it was his shirt, or jacket, uh, a mysterious letter that was wrapped up very tiny that simply said the words to mom should which is actually from a collection of i believe persian poems called the rubaiyat and it's just essentially a book that is a collection of poems from 
I believe Omar Khayyam, I believe is, is his name, uh, which was very, very uh, popular during this time frame due to it being translated into other languages. They also discovered a train ticket to Adelaide, Australia, um, as long with his luggage at the station, which had a lot of other mysteries to it. Uh, they had a lot of weird sort of knickknacks in there. Um, he had a, which is honestly the weirdest thing for me. Uh, he had like sharpened scissors. He had like a razor sharpened. He had all these like weird, almost weapons essentially. Uh, and he had custom made aluminum sheaves for those sharpened tools one uh one of them was a, an electrician's screwdriver that I, that I believe was sharpened which is weird uh, but then you know clothing whatnot that's where they found the uh secret note and like matches whatnot toothbrush shaving not uncommon stuff all as well uh the names on uh the clothing was labeled uh with a variety of names or i should say with a variant of names uh called t dot cane now although some of it was sort of labeled uh the tags themselves were removed from all the clothing um which was a little odd and was a note that was mentioned during the research uh, and a lot of weird things, you know, suspects came about, there was a woman who was highly theorized to have potentially known or had a relationship with the unknown man. And we will talk about her later as we get into this because her daughter is brought up and a researcher in more recent times, uh, married into her family and well, married her to get to her family to get DNA. And she's like, yeah, that, that's probably somewhat true. And she's like a hundred percent sure about it. But all this, you know, 70-year-old mystery led to the idea of eventually this researcher and modern-day researchers getting a hand on DNA evidence of the Somerton Man. And they got this DNA specifically from a death mask that was created, which is essentially a likeness of the individual created after they die. And within the death mask, they actually had hair that was embedded into it. So they were able to preserve evidence that far. And uh, that's what brings us here today. I am going to be reading some notes from the summer, uh, summer, <laughs> the Smithsonian Magazine uh, written by Melania, or Melian Asali. Uh, this was written on August 8th of this year. New DNA analysis suggests a body found on the beach in Australia in 1948 belongs to a Carl Webb, an electronical or an electrical engineer from Melbourne, which, you know, we talked about electrician screwdriver. So, uh, but let's just get into it. So for decades, obviously people have been looking into the mystery surrounding the Somerton man, uh, who, again, whose body showed up in, uh, December, well, November 30th is when they first saw it overnight, but December 1st is when he was actually discovered, uh, in 1948. He was speculated to have been a Russian spy, uh, a jilted lover, a poison victim, a potential suicide, all sorts of stuff. It's crazy. A smuggler, a ballet dancer, all sorts of things. But the truth after this DNA analysis was done 
was reported to be that the Somerton man suggests via his DNA to be a man known as Carl Charles Webb, an electrical engineer from Melbourne who vanished from the public record in April of 1947. So a almost two-year gap between disappearing from the public record and showing up dead on a beach. So uh, I'm just going to scroll through because some of the stuff we actually already talked about, but just some of the ideas, uh, or I should say some of the uh, facts of how they discovered this. Derek Abbott, a physicist and electrical engineer at the University of Adelaide, and Colleen Fitzpatrick, a forensic uh, genealogist who specializes in using DNA to solve cold cases, identified the Somerton man using hair samples collected from his death mask. Though the state coroner has not fully authenticated the findings, uh, they are fairly confident in them as scientists to believe that this is accurate uh, of an analysis. So again, again, they just follow the DNA. They, they did some investigation afterwards, and we'll discuss that right here. So to narrow down the pool of potential candidates, because obviously doing DNA research from a cold case of 70 years, there's a lot of people out there. And uh, so they used the Somerton man's DNA and plugged it into a genealogical research database, uh, the GED match system. And after finding a match of a long distant cousin of the DNA, which was the Somerton man, the researchers conducted a family tree of around 4,000 people. Using this family tree, along with using the uh, DNA itself, and physical attributes of the uh, Somerton man that was uh, recorded during the investigation of his death, they used that and archival records to search for individuals who mirrored the Somerton man. And Webb, who was born in the Australian state of Victoria in 1905, fit all that research, or at least fit it the best out of everyone. I'm going to just scroll through because we already talked about the discovery aspect, the refreshers, essentially, that every article will have to do because, you know, no one's going to fully remember everything. And honestly, they, they don't have answers for everything that happens. We will also talk about that, too. Okay, I just scroll past everything. Uh, beyond the DNA results linking the Summerton man to Webb, Abbott and Fitzpatrick, the researchers we discussed earlier, found ample archival evidence suggesting the identification. Born in Footscree, a suburb of Melbourne, in November 16, 1905, Webb was the sixth-born child of a German man and Australian woman uh, who I don't believe we have any... They don't mention them. Uh, In October 1941, he married a Dorothy Jane Robertson, who listed the couple's marriage certificate as a 21 or, oh, who according to the couple's uh, marriage certificate uh, was a 21-year-old foot specialist. I don't know what that means. Maybe she made shoes. I don't know. That's very weird. Uh, and Webb at the time was a then 40 or 35-year-old instrument maker. The 
last mention of Webb uh, because we said they he went off the record in the 40, uh, 1947. Uh, his last record was in April of 1947 when he left his wife. Uh, not divorced, though, uh, because in October 1951, about three years after the Somerton man's death and discovery, Dorothy actually placed a notice in the Age, which is a newspaper, stating that she had begun divorce procedures because Webb had deserted her. Like, he just left her and disappeared. And then she moved up to Melbourne, uh, or from Melbourne to Butte, a town about 89 miles northeast of Adelaide. So the researchers believe that potentially he may have been trying to get back to her and then died, but again, that's all speculation. Uh, records show that Webb enjoyed reading and writing poetry, which would link potentially as to why he may have had a shredded note from a collection of poems from the Rubaiyat. And he also liked betting on horse races. He also had a sister who did live in Melbourne, uh, who was married to a man known as Thomas Kane, potentially the same T. Kane that was named on some of the clothing that was found in the Somerton man's suitcase. And there is speculation as to why some of the clothing was American in origin. And the researchers, again, speculate that perhaps Kane had just re uh, recently bought them from secondhand GI stations in Australia. So nothing too uncommon. Uh, it's just not, obviously, the most common thing to do. Um, Abbott and Fitzpatrick have been unable to locate a, a photograph of Webb during his life. Uh, however... The ABC's uh, AP reports that an image of Wade's brother, Roy, uh, was actually discovered. Uh, he had died as a prisoner of war in Malaya during the uh, Second World War, and his photograph bears a striking resemblance to that of the Somerton Man. And again, as neat and as fascinating as all of this is, this does not answer all of the questions surrounding the Somerton man and the mysteries of his death and discovery. Why was Wade, if this is actually Wade, uh, Webb, uh, why was Webb at Somerton Beach at that time? Uh, did he cause his own death? Like, did he commit suicide? Did someone murder him? Was it an accident? Uh, one, of the, one of the notes, I should say, uh, when he was discovered, the couple who had discovered him the night prior to his full discovery, the November 30th one, they had actually reported seeing him kind of like shift a little bit. And people speculate that perhaps that little shift in them assuming that he was asleep uh, was actually him like literally dying in that moment, uh, which is very bizarre. Uh Additionally, his clothing and his shoes and everything when he was discovered on the beach showed pretty much no signs of having walked through the beach to get to that spot. Uh, and it looked as though he had almost just kind of been placed onto the beach, which led to a lot of the speculation surrounding 
what the heck is going on here. Um, I believe there was some research into the potential cause of death, and I don't think there's a solid uh, answer for that, so I'm not going to definitively say that this is the case. But research into potential poisoning was the most likely culprit, and digitalis, which I believe is a synthesized poison from the pufferfish venom, is a potential culprit as to how he died, which is a highly toxic material. Um, again, this also doesn't answer, you know, what is his connection to Thompson, which was the lady who people believed was the main suspect. Why were there so many mysteries surrounding the items that he had? Why does he have sharpened tools and shivs? Why was there like a weird coded message? Like, why are there all these weird things? Why did he have uh, two mom should rolled up and sewn into the roll of his sleeve? Like, these are all questions that we're not going to know. We're probably never going to know the full story of this because, again, it's 70 years old. He's dead. Most of his family at that time was dead. The Thompson lady who potentially was the best culprit or suspect for Leeds, she's long been dead. So we don't really know what the end goal or the end result of the overall story is going to be. But it is fascinating to think that DNA could help shed some light onto a literally 70-year-old uh, mystery, which is fascinating to me. Um, and I hope that you guys did enjoy this little journey. That's all we really have for this episode. Uh, but it's a good one, right? It's, it's, I, I think it's a good one. And we don't do too many true crime stuff. So I, I, I'm fascinated that we got to discuss this. And uh, it's just so, so crazy. So well, hopefully DNA continues to disapprove and we can have even more crazy stories like this in the near future. But until then, guys, thank you again so, so much for supporting the Patreon here and helping Realm of Unknown continue to just be a fun and ex exploratory type show. And your support really does mean an awful lot. So thank you once again. And again, thank you for joining us here for a, an installment of the Weird of the Week series. I hope you enjoyed. And remember, until next time, to stay spooky. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Realm of Unknown and the bonus series here on the Patreon, the Weird of the Week series. Uh, whoever is listening to this on the Patreon, thank you so much for the ongoing support, and here are the bonus series that you so graciously uh, help fund and help provide and help uh, be a part of. So I know I'm just like, I'm still trying to learn how to properly say that. Cause I'm like, it's, it's really weird that people actually support, uh, the show. Uh, so yeah. So for today I have a quick little article. Uh, we just recently had the upload of the, um, I don't know why I'm blacking on it so hard right now. Uh, the missing 411 series, uh, discussion on the critical review of things and the episode, or the article, I should say, that I brought today uh, has nothing to do with that, because why would it? I know I mentioned uh, doing some research into the discussion from the Gettysburg, or not the Gettysburg, the, the Penn State episode that we did a little while back, maybe last week, I think it was, but I'm going to have to like actually research that one with the whole like town-wide poltergeist that was spreading around. 
But in the meantime, I do have an article that is relatively topical, obviously, because it just occurred in the last like two weeks or whatever. Uh, but it is a discussion that I personally have not uh, really mentioned or looked into because personally, I, I don't, I really don't care. I could care less. I do not care in any way, shape, or form that this happened. It's sad that it happened, but I, I do not shed a tear or have any sad feelings towards. Uh, the queen dying. Because, you know, that happened. That's news. And people are still, for the love of God, having it trending every single goddamn hour of the day for the past two weeks. But I don't see the point of it. But it sometimes provides some interesting articles because I have one here in front of me titled Weird Voice Whispers, quote, Death is Irreversible During the Queen's Funeral. And it, the moment I saw that, that article title, I was like, ooh, I got to go check this out. And it's, it's rather fascinating. It has a, obviously a bit of a mundane explanation. As the narrative goes, uh, it was obviously on the queen's funeral it was during uh the itv news broadcast uh, of the event and during one of the more quiet segments you could overhear a it says whispered female voice but it's relatively loud and i'm going to try to play it for you in just a moment but claims that you hear a whispered voice come over the broadcast before it gets caught off by one of the commentators on the uh original show I'm trying to think. I'm trying to find where the the names are because they do mention it later down. Uh, okay, so one of the live feeds managed to generate great buzz online. Yeah, this blew up with speculation on social media, although I never heard of it until now. Uh, it did happen today, so maybe I just didn't see British Twitter <laughs> hard enough. It, again, happened during the ITV's coverage of the Queen's Coffin being driven to the next destination uh, along the crowded streets in London because they make it a big deal. It's a big event. It's a yada yada. It's whatever. And then all of a sudden, again, during one of the quiet moments, you hear a voice come over and it says, quote, the death is irreversible and the fact that she's trapped and then it gets cut off by the uh, one of the commentators uh, uh, of the footage, and I was like, "Oh crap, that that's interesting as hell. Like that's that's really fascinating." Um, so I'm gonna play it for you guys really, really quick, and then um, I'm just gonna finish up the article because again, it has a somewhat reasonable explanation to it. So just one moment. The death is irreversible, and the fact that she's trapped. as you can see. And yeah, it, it's very brief, but as you could hear, like, that was very clear for the most part. From what I, I blew it up, obviously, but if you were to hear it live, the whispering's not too much quieter than the actual commentator's uh, voice. And uh, there, there's, like, a really good Twitter post where it's like, I am currently just obsessed with what the hell happened here. And then it just links the, the recording of the broadcast, like, they're filming their TV. Uh, but again, like I mentioned before, I showcased the audio. Social media, you know, exploded with surprise, and then people were discussing what happened. People were theorizing if this was like a technical glitch. Some people say like, ooh, maybe it's like a supernatural twist to it, because why not? But again, more than likely, there's a very mundane explanation to this. 
that chances are it was likely the voice of a grief expert by the name of Julius Samuel, who had been speaking with the channel just a few minutes earlier into the broadcast. Um, I don't know why people didn't first assume this, but it does seem like perhaps she just didn't know that her mic was not turned off or she forgot to take it off or they just forgot to cut her mic. Um, I don't know why or what the context was of her saying that the death was irreversible or the death is irreversible and the fact that she's trapped and then it was cut off. I, I, I guess that the irreversible parts, like, you know, we can't turn back from this, the nation's going to have to move on or whatever. I don't know what the hell the fact that she's trapped means. What the... I like... That's the part that I think was, like, the most, like, what the heck is this? Like, why why is a grief cat, like, why is she trapped? But again, you know, context, I, I don't know why the mic cut in for just those few words and then cut out. I, I don't know the context of who she was speaking to or why she was saying that or what she was saying it for. Uh, obviously because I was not there and we don't have the full audio and I don't think there's like a official statement that's come out. Again, this is like just happening. Um, this is coming from the Huffington Post, but again, it's a, a broadcast from the ITV News uh, over in London. But I, I found that fascinating and it actually did spark my interest a little bit because I was like, I know stuff like this has happened before and I wonder if there's any like other weird shit that's been captured on recordings and obviously yes there has been and i'm going to now officially make this its own episode because there's a lot more that i originally realized because i was like oh you know i know one or two there's like the max headroom thing uh which is relatively well known there was that like weird satanic broadband interruption that occurred on the news that i'm pretty sure was like a debunked prank at this point but there are a lot, lot, lot more that go back as far as, like, the 80s and stuff. Like, even further back. There's some in, like, the 60s. It's, it's really weird. Like, it, I, there are so many weird broadcast signal uh, interruptions or takeovers or messages that come up, like, intrusions. Like, it's super fascinating, and I definitely want to do a full episode on it. So expect that in the future. It's not going to be the next episode, obviously, because I have to go research it. Uh, but I'm probably going to aim to have it up at some point in October. So bear with me. Hopefully the research goes well. Um, but yeah, so I that that's my story for today. The weird recording that, who knows, what, what are your thoughts on it? Uh, again, I kind of lean towards the more likely explanation that it was simply a off-the-mic thing. Um, but who knows, maybe it is a supernatural <laughs> thing that... The energy of all those viewers brought about some sort of message for everyone from the ether. Uh, and we just happened to hear it on a uh, radio or broadcast. Uh, but yeah, so that's it for today. Uh, thank you guys again for listening to another episode of the Weird of the Week series here on the Patreon. Again, thank you so much for all the listeners who are listening to this on Patreon. Thank you immensely for the support. It goes a really really long way to helping support the show support the patreon getting new stuff out there and having me be able to do this consistently over time uh, it really does mean a lot also personally that you guys uh, are willing to support uh, obviously you get something out of it but i i like the support <laughs> um 
But uh, until then, guys, I hope you guys had a great time. And until the next episode, remember to stay spooky. Thank you.